Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. For today's podcast, we're going to be delving into a number of UK equities, as well as looking at some of the key market themes out there. And to do that, we're very kindly joined once more by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast this morning. Good morning again, John. How are you doing? Yes, very very well. Thank you. Very well. Fully in the swing of 2023. It's been a particularly busy year so far. How are things going on your side, Alan? Yeah, uh, Christmas Christmas is a dim but a dim and distant memory now. We we are as you say well into 2023. It's been yeah, it, it's been a a fairly solid start, I think. And I think there were fears certainly uh, pre-Christmas that um uh, everything would nosedive in the new year but i mean from the certainly from from the domestic standpoint and and also markets globally um it's been anything but i think um i wouldn't say putin's a busted flush but i think uh, uh the 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 rhetoric now seems to look at putin as uh, as uh, as somebody that's come to the end of the line he's running out of options the russian economy no longer figures on the world stage so of course we're getting on without it uh, you know alternatives are being sourced um and it, it, indeed uh, there was an article in the new york times a few days ago um, about cooling inflation what's happening next you know inflation there is down to six and a half percent from the highs of of nine uh, percent last summer so of course it, you know th- th- that's uh, that's due to a fall in in uh, in fuel prices in in uh, in the cost of energy and so on so so of course we, we we've got this prospect ahead of us now meanwhile of course here in the uk you know we we nearly got to those new highs that we were talking about a few weeks ago um the footsie has been pushing those pushing the uh, the limits higher and of course that's all driven by dollar earners because the footsie is predominantly made up of dollar earning stocks so very much a reflection of the global economy economy but certainly yeah, a, a good start to the year uh, and i think a, a better start to the year than many of us had uh, anticipated indeed in the last quarter of last year when we were looking at some of the economic predictions from investment banks and economists and central banks it was looking like it was going to be a pretty pretty dire start to 2023 but as you mentioned there Alan it's you know things have actually become slightly more optimistic especially if you're looking at the likes of uh, Goldman Sachs for example that have reiterated uh, their concern about the trajectory of global growth but at the same time, saying they no longer see a recession in Europe, which is a which is a real change um, from some of the predictions last year, and it's starting to creep in not only to Europe but the UK and and the US. Of course, tomorrow we get GDP figure for the fourth quarter from the United States. That's going to be a very closely watched data point that's going to give deep insight into what the Federal Reserve could be doing next, what their next move will be on interest rate hikes, when we're going to be looking at uh, 25 basis points or a 50 uh, basis points hike in US rates. There's, of course, uh, an element of realisation that we're going to see further rate hikes, not only from 
the Central Bank of the United States, but probably here in the UK in the first quarter of this year. But it's then beyond that, how they then start to move to manage inflation. If if we have inflation rates which are declining, there's not really that need for them to be as aggressive with the rate hikes. And that's going to be seen as a positive in, in markets. And it's it's really quite interesting. So looking just looking before we started recording, Alan, and you know the, the way that the FTSE 100 outperformed major indices mm. uh, in the United States last year. So the FTSE 100 was up one percent. You know, in itself, not a great performance. But when you compare that to a nineteen percent decline in the S and P 500 last year and a thirty three percent decline in the Nasdaq, uh, you know, it is a significant outperformance of those indices. And indeed, it is an outperformance of the FTSE 250. Of course, the mid cap market here in London more domestically focused than the FTSE 100, that was down 19% uh, on the year. So, you know, looking at that index, that's that's about 4% so far in that early weeks of 2023, whereas the FTSE 100 is up about 2%. So there's a slight outperformance there uh, so far. But when, when you're sort of looking over at the US stocks, comparing them to FTSE 100 companies, Alan, because we had that severe underperformance, it was really a, a tech story last year through the cycle of higher rates. Of course, that really did ask some questions of, of US tech stocks and they were you know, simply, simply destroyed last year. But looking at what's been happening in the last week or so, do you think that that defensive element that caused the outperformance of the FTSE 100 last year could mean that it actually drags behind the performance of the S&P 500, the Nasdaq, and, and also the FTSE 250 here as we move through 2023? I think there's enough of a mix of technology uh, within the FTSE 100. Um, you know, we've got large stocks like Vodafone, which uh, which will uh, benefit from from upturn, uh, a general upturn in technology. I think there's enough exposure there to for the FTSE to be carried Along with that, but of course, you pointed out the the FTSE 250 there, John, uh, falling 19%. That's um, that is very much more reflection of the domestic economy. So I think um, I think what's uh, going to be important this year, if, if we can see a strong performance or a, a, a recovery from the FTSE 250, that I think will feed through into uh, into um, the uh, domestically orientated FTSE hundred stocks, and also, of course, the, the, the uh, in, uh, directly or indirectly into into the technology stocks as well. But but I think um, I think we're still, although we've decoupled in a sense from the uh, fr- from Europe, I, I, I think we're still very much uh, coupled and harnessed to the global economy. Um, and of course, we're now seeing. Um, UK PLC go out and uh, do business unencumbered by the restrictions of Europe with the rest of the world. So, uh, so I think as as the uh, global economy recovers, um, UK companies or UK PLC will be and should be a prime recipient of that. And I think it's going to be a very important year um, on so many levels with that. But certainly, certainly, you know, it's. Um, I think you've got to. If you're looking at the indices at the moment, it's a question of whether you are a bottle half full or a bottle half empty merchant. Personally, I've always been a bottle half full. I'm a great believer in the UK economy and uh, you know what we can do as a nation, and also you know uh, what um, 
our banking and financial system can do in regard to benefiting from uh, an improvement in the global economy. Yes, indeed. I mean, just looking at the best performers of the FTSE 100 so far this year, we have IAG, JD Sports, Whitbread, Rolls-Royce, Intercontinental Hotels, AB Foods, Entain, Ocado. You know, these are all stocks Mm. with exposure to the UK consumer. And the UK consumer was a story last year, which was looking pretty dire. And, you know, we're looking at retail sales that from December, you know, weren't particularly fantastic. But, when we saw the updates and the Christmas updates from a lot of these companies. Now, of course, some of these companies are operating overseas as well, but they're based here in the UK and they do do quite a lot of business with the the UK market. They were relatively upbeat and, you know, it showed that these companies have been able to, you know, really get past all of these doomsayers that were saying, you know, we're going to see a destruction in, in demand, you know, particularly JD Sports is, is one that jumps out. Very good set of, of numbers from them. Of course, IAG is benefiting from a bounce back in holidays. And that's going to be a company that we discussed with a sector in that, a company in that sector in EasyJet a little bit later on in the podcast. But it looks as though this story of, you know, real doom and gloom around the UK economy and, of course, the global economy is just starting to ease. And that's being reflected in in some of the stocks that we're, we're seeing moving. So that's going to be an interesting story to see how that develops going forward for the rest of the year. But as I mentioned, Alan, the first company we're going to discuss today is a, a FTSE 250 constituent. Now it was for uh, for a long time in the, in the FTSE 100, but, of course, uh, the the pandemic put pay for that, and you know I'm sure. So looking at the numbers that we've that we've seen today, it may be one that, that gets back into the FTSE 100 at some point. It's EasyJet, very strong set of uh, of numbers from them. So what uh, what was the key takeaways, Alan? Well, it, it's it's been a, a very strong and very upbeat trading statement from EasyJet, and of course shares are up nine percent already this morning. Uh, seeing the shares trading at £5.10p or 510 pence. And that's particularly significant given that on the 30th, 30th of September last year, you could have picked up the stock um, at at a year low. And indeed, um, that the actual intraday year low was £2.76. So, you know, we're almost double that already. Um, but I think what's particularly impressive is that on the 30th of December, the shares were trading at £3.24. So within a few weeks... Um, had you bought EasyJet shares in that window between Christmas and New Year, you'd be sitting on a very handsome profit now. So, so that that's a that really really encourages me. You know, a, a stock that had been absolutely battered to pieces by COVID um, has hung in there, and, and there are some very good reasons for that. The the you know, EasyJet's network is 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 one of the best networks for a, a mid-sized carrier uh, in the world. Um, I mean, the company. Uh, the, the company has uh, ha- has all its planes based at uh, uh, the right airports with the right routes, uh, capturing uh, a demand as holidaymakers return. And of course, it it is a fickle industry in a sense. You know, we, we've seen this nascent pent up demand uh, where people have been uh, locked down at home and sort of spending money on the house and all the rest of it, and are not travelling. Now they're able to travel again. So. Boy, is it resurging with a vengeance! And we've seen during the first quarter, um, EasyJet's revenue was 
1.5 billion, a 20% increase in ancillary revenues like uh, extra people paying for extra legroom on a flight and food on the flight. Um, And overall, that revenue was up 36% in the last quarter. But given the increase that we're seeing now, of course, there are that indicates the market expects uh, uh, a continuing improvement in these levels of performance. And although the companies uh, uh, reported um, a loss in the period, it's still very much you know, a loss of uh, 122 million um, on the period. Um, it's still uh, a, a big improvement on on the uh, on the performance previously. And given the revenues it's turning over, um, you it won't take much for that 122 million loss to turn into a profit next time around. And certainly um, the forecast, you know, the guidance for the group looking forward is uh, it expects, expects a significantly better than better performance than last year. Looking forward, upgrades profit expectations for the half year. Um, and uh, see, it's seeing a, a real surge forward in, in ticket yields and bookings. And of course, you know, that's all based on the factors we were discussing just now, which is the the marked improvement in the economy, you know, we're seeing inflation falling, people are prepared to get back on planes. Um, of course, that could all change very quickly indeed. You know, if if for whatever reason the war in Ukraine ramps up or there's a resurgence in COVID, all of these factors have to be taken into account. But certainly, based on where we are now, um, we've seen a very strong performance for EasyJet already. But on the five-year highs, I mean, we're seeing, uh, you know, the shares have traded on the current year as high as £7.29. So to me, uh, there looks to be, uh, g- given the momentum and the sheer pace of revenue growth, I think there's, th- there is certainly scope for significant further upside. So I, I, I would probably mark the shares down as a speculative buy, a speculative buy at this level, even though the shares are up nearly 10% this morning. When we're looking at EasyJet, Alan, now of course, you know, the, the period that they were reporting on was, was actually some of the first months that people could go away hmm. you know, on that period compared, compared to the, the same period a year prior without any major COVID restrictions. Do you think there's an element of pent-up demand in these numbers that may peter out as we go through into the next year? Well, I, th- I think that pent-up demand is just people able to get back on the plane and travel again. But um, uh if if the demand continues, is there any reason that it shouldn't continue? I, I think I think restrictions are now lifted. Covid is under control. We've got these X factors, of course. You know that we've got the X factor about could the war in Ukraine ramp up? Uh, could could Russia, the, you know, the Russia situation deteriorate further? Um, it's not really a significant factor on on the global economy anymore. But obviously, you know, given the the weaponry. Or, or the arsenal of weapons that Putin has, there is always that concern. And of course, then we have COVID. You know, China, the the lockdown is in China is now eased. Uh, people traveling from China have to um, have to uh, test and uh, ensure they're COVID free before they travel. So that's a good thing. But you know, could could it spread again? Of course, these all factors we'll just have to live with. But um, personally, I think the COVID has now become like flu. You know, so you'll need your vaccination or your booster uh, uh, every year but um, let's hope we can now keep it at bay with that and given that scenario I see no reason really why EasyJet and also the other carriers in the sector shouldn't offer further upside for investors at, um, at this point. 
Indeed, it certainly looks as though those shares are starting to build some momentum to the upside. So we're going to move on now, Alan, to the next company we're going to discuss today. It's Cadence Minerals. Uh, their CEO, Kieran Morzero, was on the podcast early on in January, detailing some key updates at their flagship Amapa Iron Ore project in Brazil. But today, Alan, it's uh, it's an update from one of their other holdings within their portfolio. Yeah, uh, Cadence Minerals um, are, of course, a, a mining investment company, and they have they have a raft of uh, stakes in uh, in in, uh, in listed companies. Um, and uh, today they've announced the completion of the sale of the Yanjabana Rare Earths project. Well, I'm going to go through each of these in turn because I think it's really important to understand how Cadence is, is valued. Now, Cadence currently has a a, a market capitalization of 29 million uh, total sterling. So it's trading 17 pence. And of course, last year it raised it, it raised uh, funds at 20p. So we're still under that raised price. So what we, what it means today is completed sale of the Yanjabana joint venture interest to Hastings Technology Metals, which is ASX listed, currently has a market capitalization of 472 million Australian dollars. Um, and the Yanjibana project as a whole currently has a net present value of 1 billion Australian dollars. So, of course, that's hugely significant. With its stake, uh, Cadence has received 9 million uh, Australian dollars of shares in Hastings. Um, that's roughly 1.9% of the company. So, of course, if the, uh, if the market cap of Hastings improves as they get towards production, which it's likely to, then, of course, that uh, valuation will rise accordingly. But that's basically uh, about, um, uh, you know, it's currently around five to six million pounds sterling, but it could be uh, uh, it could be uh, a lot higher than that if the uh, NPV valuation is reflected in that. So if we if we give it that valuation at the moment of about six million, we then have um, earlier in the year, uh, um, Hastings announced it completed the equity stake in lithium technologies and lithium to supplies to a company called Evergreen that is also set to list on the ASX. Now, potentially, that could be up to $21 million, uh, Australian dollars. That's £12 million sterling uh, once that's completed. So if we take that, we've then got a valuation of of £18 million sterling. Um, then Cadence also has an 8.1% stake in the Sinovet Lithium project through European Metals Holdings. So it owns shares in EMH, 8.1%. Uh, EMH is currently worth £73 million sterling. So you, you can you can work that out. That's uh, that's roughly about uh, another six million. So that takes us up to about uh, you know probably twenty four. 25 million and what that means is that the company's flagship project which of course as you pointed out john is the amapa iron ore project um is worth uh currently a paltry six million pounds sterling now cadence has it owns 30 percent of the amapa iron ore project back in 2012 the amapa iron ore project uh which is owned then by anglo-american was valued at 600 million dollars us dollars on its books since then, um, Cadence has uh, bought the it's bought uh, the uh, Amapa mine, the railway, and the Santana port out of administration. It's working there with 
through its local company dev with the with the local authorities there to to uh, recommission the mine to to redevelop the area and of course there's all of the benefits in terms of health in terms of education uh, that it's bringing to the region um, and uh, the the company announced uh, at the start of the year that um, it's it's uh, it announced a pre-feasibility study with a maiden ore reserve estimate of 195.8 million tonnes of iron ore, uh, which is basically about 39.3% uh, FE uh, or iron, you know, which is which is you know really high quality. Um, it's already sold tailings that have been sitting at the port for years it sold several shiploads of that worldwide and raised further monies um so we have pfs done the dfs defensive feasibility study is now well underway and that will be completed shortly so within you know uh, possibly as soon as 18 months um the amaparino mine could be up and running and producing again so so given the scope of production the fact that cadence stake is valued at just Six million uh, pounds sterling is ludicrous. Um, you know, if the the the, uh, the, the company expects to um, to generate uh, an average uh, life of mine EBITDA of a of two hundred thirty five million US dollars per annum, um, you know, so so where where does that register on the valuation of six million? You know, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Cadence is hugely undervalued, and you know, once we get closer to production. I ex- I would expect to see that uh, that um, valuation gap uh, close very rapidly indeed. But uh, still, now uh, you know to to invest into this company now you've got three clear tangible listed investments um, plus the Amapa uh, on top of that, and I think Cadence has got a really exciting year in prospect. And you know, in, within a few years, we could be we could the shares could be at many multiples of where we are now. Yes, I mean just just looking at how things have developed at Cadence over the last year, it's you know it's, it's been quite dramatic actually. With the Yangi Barn, and now it's you know having that that visibility of the, the valuation by having an investment in a in a listed vehicle really does de-risk that investment to some extent and give investors a clearer visibility of uh, of the value to Cadence. So it's going to be interesting to see how that develops as, and as also. I mean, one particular thing that I'm going to be interested to see is how Evergreen pans out. Of course, mm. lithium is a hot uh, is a hot topic at the moment yep. uh, for, for for good reason. You know, sort of looking at those demand figures. We won't go into them now, but you know, there needs to be a huge amount of, of lithium brought online in terms of production in the next ten years, and Evergreen is very well placed to be part of that movement. So we're going to finish off now, Alan, with the company. It's provided uh, an update. It's HVivo. HVivo, uh, yes. So again, uh, we look at the share price. You know, the over the past year, um, the shares have really, uh, at, since the start of the year, really bounced off those lows. So it was trading at 10p on the 30th of December. Now trading at 17p, um, and shares are up 14% today on the back of a very strong trading update. So HVivo, of course, is the former Open Orphan. Um, Chairman Carl Friel is is well known among uh, uh, investing circles. Uh, you know he's um, he's very much a guy who puts his money where his mouth is. That he personally through his company holds a big stake in Open Orphan and is um, is very much uh, you know he, he's very much had a, a vision uh, for this. 
Also a company he founded, Amrit Pharma, recently sold for um, for one and a half billion. Um, and uh, it, it's just indicative of uh, Carl, Carl's Midas touch within this sector. Um, and of course, today is no exception. So um, HVivo announced uh, or provided a trading update. And, and what the company does, of course, it has um, it's a, a world leader in testing infectious and respiratory diseases using uh, human challenge clinical trials. And Open Orphan HVivo became famous during COVID, of course, with its um, testing centres in East London. Uh, well, several centres in London and in Manchester, where 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 people were being tested, given a mild dose of COVID, in, in the hunt for a vaccine. Of course, they were instrumental in that process. They also have um, a similar setup for flu and for other infectious diseases. So, so they're they're, they're experts in human challenge trials. And if you look at the news track record, you'll see they've been generating contract after contract after contract. It's just it's just a, a steady flow of news. And then today, uh, the company announced um, record revenues for the year up 30% to 50, just over 50 million sterling. EBITDA margins uh, jumped uh, massively uh, from 7% last year to 17% this year. And that was significantly ahead of guidance, which was 13, around 13%. Also, the company's ended ending the year with cash of 28.4 million sterling on its books and a forward order book of 76 million for this year, which is up 65% year on year. And also for uh, shareholders who have stuck with it, um, there's uh, going to be a shareholder distribution on publication of the full audit accounts. Of course, that will come shortly. Um, and significant, you know, with any company, forward guidance is key to its success. With HVivo, over 95% of revenue for 2023 is contracted already. So that's already coming in. Um, and there's also forward revenue visibility into 2024 too. So, you know, it's very unusual for a company within the pharma um, and the biotech industry to have this sort of cash flow. So HVivo is very much evolving from um, from a company which uh, which was initially out there with an idea into into uh, uh, into a, a mid-sized pharma company, um, but but uh, it's not there yet. I mean, the company still has a valuation of just 117 million, and I think with the Nasdaq listing, you know, you probably see a valuation double that because companies are just valued much more highly on the Nasdaq for that region. So for uh, for that reason, so. Um, in summary, the, the company says it's entered the 2023 well capitalized 28.4 million, no debt at all, and record visibility in the current financial year. And of course, uh, the chief exec Yaman Mokan said the, the the record numbers is announced today a result of the hard work by everyone at uh, HVivo, um, uh, and but also they're seeing you know real growth in the potential marketplace. Uh, there's this increasing prevalence. You know we mentioned. COVID, of course, will it recur or will um, will will a mutation of that evolve in some way? And HVivo recognise that, and they've said with increasing prevalence and severity of infectious and respiratory diseases, that there's a vital need for new vaccines and antivirals. Um, and HVivo is now the human challenge partner of choice for the global biopharma industry. So I think we can expect to see HVivo's order books continuing to fill as we go forward um, um, as the company plays a significant role in 
accelerating development of these new medicines. I mean, when we're looking at HVV, I mean, over the last six months, it's, it's up significantly. But but on the year, um, over, over the fifty-two week period, it, it's down slightly. I mean, when when you're looking at the, the share price there, and obviously these orders coming through, Alan, I mean, do you feel that the current visibility on revenue going forward has the possibility of taking those shares above? the 52-week high, or, or do you feel that we need to see further orders come into HVVO to really sort of break up to, to all-time, all-time highs on this company? Well, I, th- I think as uh, as usually happens, once an announcement, once a trading update like this goes out, then, of course, uh, all the bean counters will go over, the, uh, they'll go over the, the numbers, look at the forward order book and make calculations. So we'll see probably, no doubt, some broker recommendations in the coming days based on those on those numbers but i think what what's clear is that as as a as a machine hvivo is seriously gathering momentum you know it says it's the global the global partner of choice with the biopharma industry for human challenge testing so this company is on a roll um it's the go-to place to get this sort of work done and it's by far the most effective way to produce vaccines to fight these diseases so i mean to me um yes that order global order books growing rapidly you know visibility into 2024 so that's not the that's not this year that's next year which is important but i think um you know one of the big pharmaceutical companies could look at this and say well you know this is fantastic you know we need a piece of this so uh, it wouldn't surprise me just as Carl sold Amrit Pharma. I think the the real upside will be not only the numbers that are already going to happen, but in the speculation about um, one of the really big guys coming in uh, for a takeout. And I think that's where the excitement really lies now with this company. Yes, I mean, certainly looking at those margins, 17% EBITDA margins and the revenue figures they're predicting, you know, when, when you're looking at a company that has a market cap of only 110 million, I think there is a compelling valuation case to be had there and certainly worth a closer look. So just as a recap of the stocks that we discussed today, first up was EasyJet with a ticker of EZJ. We then moved on to Cadence Minerals, which has a ticker of KDNC. And we finished off just then with HVivo, which has a ticker of HVO. Alan, thank you much for being on the podcast today. Many thanks, John. So just as a note to listeners, we have the first instalment of 2023's uh, virtual conferences coming up in February the 22nd. We're starting at 5 p.m., do check out the events section of the UK Investor Magazine website. There'll also be a link in the notes to this podcast for that event. You can have a look at the companies that will be presenting. That will be the first of four or five events that we have in Q1. Some of them are going to be single companies. We've got the Investment Trust Conference coming up in early March. So do stay tuned and keep checking the events tab Uh, to get yourself registered for these events as soon as the invitations are available. So thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. 
The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk. 